And I think this is important for us to see that, you know, Nephi's kind of painting this with broad strokes, but then when he even comes to the ones who are the humble followers, he says, even those people are misled by precepts of men. And so it's left up to us then in some cases to consider, well, what are the real precepts? And the, the precepts could be many, they could be few, but I'm going to say it's things that go contrary to the Book of Mormon. And I will show unto them that fight against my word and against my people, which are of the house of Israel, that I am God and that I covenanted with Abraham that I would remember his seed forever. So these promises, just going back to the house of Israel, to Nephi, to the standard, this, the gathering was all part of Abraham's covenant. When we talk about the gathering in, in, in our latter-day circles, it's never about Abraham's covenant. It's always about a, a covenant that we were told was made with Enoch. And it's always something that's centered around this center place. You know, focus is here. The, the Book of Mormon teaches something completely different. back to Restored Gospel Podcast. I'm Mike Barrett, here with two of my friends, Corey Stark and Shane Robinson. Welcome, brothers. Thank you. Hello. Hey, Corey, last episode, do you remember the definition of discernment according to Charles Spurgeon? Yeah, it was not to know the difference between right and wrong, but to know the difference between right and almost right. I've pondered on that as I've listened this week and thought and pondered on different topics that's important to know because some of this stuff some of the responses and um, conversations i've had is well what's wrong with you know having an ideal of zion in the center place and unique city coming back and it's not that it's a bad hope knowing that jesus will be in the mix somewhere but perhaps it's a slight shift that prevents us from just having relationship with our Lord and where we're supposed to be and knowing his plan and, and looking forward to what he, what his story is with his, with the house of Israel. Coriatus, we're on tale of two Zions, part three, what the book of Mormon gospel says about Zion and the new Jerusalem compared to the tradition of the Zion of the restoration that we've grown up with and where those are the same and where they differ. Yeah. We're going to continue. Last time we ended uh, just starting this covenant with Abraham and to your point you just made, Mike, I was pondering this too, that I don't really think Satan cares how he trips us up just as long as he trips us up, you know? And I, and I think that goes, you can apply that in about any direction with Scripture. Just start focusing on yourself rather than Christ or your neighbor and all these things that we can do to fall away, they really can't be numbered. I'm of the opinion that we need to, become a people that hard and fast recognizes and follows the word of the Book of Mormon. And the problem we've got, one of our problems, and this is from the Book of Mormon, is this problem with presets. So if you're sharing the screen, Mike, um, this is this is where we're going to start, uh, is this problem with presets, precepts. And um, I, I liken it to this. If I were historically wanting to navigate the world and I had my boat, if I 
navigate the world and I don't have a GPS, uh, I'm going to rely on a map. Well, about in Nephi's day, this is 500 BC, this is what one of the world maps looked like in the day. And this, this man, um, I'm not even sure how to say his name, but he created this world map in about 500 BC. And you can see this is a top-down view. Europe's on this side. We have like Libya. They've, they've pretty well defined Italy and, you know, um, along the Israeli coast, Mediterranean's kind of figured out, but nothing else beyond that. You know, this is the Caspian Sea. They They didn't even know where it ended. It's landlocked, of course, but they just saw it flowing out in this world of ocean all around. And that's how the world was. That was the precept of man, if you will. Um, fast forward, I'm not going to spend as much time with these maps, but you can see here's about 43 AD. Again, it's a top-down view. Here's kind of what's become Europe, and here's Africa. I don't even know how those really fit together. But then we have some other countries over here, India. Um that was the known world. So 500 years later, and it's, it doesn't really look like what we recognize it today, but it, it changed some. It changed based on facts coming in to replace precepts. Jump ahead to 150 AD, you see more Europe defined, but Africa and different places, they really somewhat nebulous because the scholars were here. And, you know, unless you talk to someone who had been in some other place, you had no knowledge, you had no books or anything. So, this was the Diverga map, now jumping ahead to about 1420. Again, Africa, some of Europe, but as you'll see in these following maps, here's one just before 1492. This is the one that I think is most telling. This was this, this was actually the first globe created by this man, uh, Martin Beheim, in 1492. Well, we know 1492 was the year that Columbus made his voyage. He obviously wasn't the first person in the world to ever come to the Americas, but the first of the, the European explorers. But if you zoom in on this map, you'll find that this is Europe over here in Africa and starting to take shape the way we recognize it, British colonies, continent rather over here. Over here, this is like the Soviet Union and China and Japan. It, they really don't show Australia or anything there. But this whole mass in the middle, um, sorry, I don't have my laser going. This whole mass in the middle is empty ocean. Well, what's there? America. And the problem was there was no precept. There was no understanding about it. And so they built maps of the world, assuming that you could just sail right on over to China, you know, from the <laughs> Spain, right? And in fact, uh, Columbus wasn't convinced in his lifetime that he hadn't reached the Indies when he reached, you know, the Bahamas and, and those islands. So the, the precept of the day was represented by this map. America did not exist. Okay. And then, you know, you come a little farther in 1502. So 10 years after uh, Columbus and you start to see just the coastal areas of, of South America and North America, but it's not defined yet. You go a little farther, and this is uh, an interesting map. I, I'd like to talk more about it. I really won't. But but you start to see the world in probably the best detail ever of the known world. Little tiny wisps of the uh, Americas, but that's it. And that's all that had been explored. So what's, what's the rest of it filled with? Precept, okay? That's what we think it is. It's just ocean beyond that. And even in 1630, now that America was beginning to be explored, they hadn't been to the Northwest, so they just assumed it rolled on into the Soviet Union. And 
um, that again just shows the precept. We finally have a map that shows some of Australia, I think, down here too. So it isn't until about 1794 that we get a map that really represents the major continents without a GPS or satellite imagery because these places had finally been explored. So, so what happened? And, and this is really the point. When the maps were incorrect, men filled them with precepts. They filled them with their own ideas. And when facts eventually replaced precepts, the maps became more reliable. Um, our precepts are many. Our precepts of Enoch City, for instance, need to be replaced with facts from the Book of Mormon. It's really the premise of what I want to share today. Uh, to leave out Abraham's covenant, for instance, is like a map of America where America doesn't exist. Okay, it's just a wide open ocean. You know, it does exist, uh, the, but the mariners of the day, their cartographers of the day, they just didn't understand. So they offered their precept, they offered what they thought was there. And so, Nephi warns us, and I'm not ever going to apologize for Scripture. I just want to let you know we're, we're going to just really focus on what the Scriptures have to say. Um, he, he warns the Gentiles about precepts, and this is from 2 Nephi 12 in the RLDS or 2 Nephi 28 in the LDS. There will be many which shall teach after the false and vain foolish doctrines be puffed up in their hearts. They'll seek deep to hide the count, their counsels from the Lord, and their works shall be in the dark. And the blood of the saints shall cry from the ground against them. Yea, they have gone out of the way. They have become corrupted. Because of pride and because of false teachers and false doctrines, their churches have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up. Because of pride, they are puffed up. They rob the poor because of their fine sanctuaries. They rob the poor because of their fine clothing. And they persecute the meek and the poor in their heart because in their pride they are puffed up. They wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few, which are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because what they are taught by the precepts of men. And I think this is important for us to see that, you know, Nephi's kind of painting this with broad strokes, but then when he even comes to the ones who are the humble followers, he says, even those people are misled by precepts of men. And so it's left up to us then in some cases to consider, well, what are the real precepts? And the, the precepts could be many, they could be few, but I'm going to say it's things that go contrary to the Book of Mormon. We're given this record that we are told did not have any imperfections in it. It did not have any faults. It may have had... Uh, you know, sentences or things like that that could have been more articulate, but it didn't have any faults of men. So if we stray from the thing that God gave us to remove the stumbling blocks, we may fall into, you know, just precepts. Um, I'm just going to stop right there and see if you guys have any comments or thoughts. I think the hardest thing about all of this that we're talking about is, is sort of the normalization of our traditions. You know, when we've had when we've had a, a precept, you know, it maybe started out as just an idea, you know, and it turned into a doctrine um, and then it got passed on for multiple generations. It just seems like fact, you know, and I mean, you compare it. I mean, we have lots of precepts going on today. I mean, like, for example, look at uh, like the um, environmental stuff, you know, where, you know, where people are willing to strap themselves to a tree or, or, or set off a bomb or whatever because they think they're saving the environment. 
you know, those are precepts of men. Those are not, those are not provable things. Um, you know, e- even though there might be some quote, quote science, you know, about it, it's still a, a belief that they're willing to die for, you know, and I think that, that we have to step back from our, our beliefs and say, Hey, you know, is this worth dying for? Is this really a, a priest? Is this really truth? Or is this just a precept of man? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, when we trust in these precepts, you know, uh, the Book of Mormon says that men are going to follow these precepts, but the Book of Mormon shares facts to replace those precepts. And so we're going to focus on this. And, and I feel like the Book of Mormon is really our map to understand Jesus' return and his plan for the kingdom. Just like these other maps, they, they grew and changed as facts came into view. So I'm looking forward to actually sharing some of these facts from the Book of Mormon, and, and hopefully it can shape people's view. Just to pause there for a second, you know, um, it really doesn't matter the number of people, if it's hundreds or thousands who view the videos. What amazes me is when we get feedback, um, by far and large, it's always very positive. But um, what touches me the most are just the number of people who write that they've really been changed, you know, by just seeing some of these truths, you know, not by us, not by our words, but simply by the heightening of, I guess, what the Book of Mormon says, what it teaches. And and that's a beautiful thing. You know, there's there's a lot of repeat doctrine out there where people just kind of edify each other by saying the things they've always said, but it's not necessarily changing. And and I guess that's something that I, I just feel is worth mentioning that, you know, we, we recognize you out there. We recognize the people who've been struggling and frustrated, maybe didn't even know why they were frustrated. But um, if the Book of Mormon speaks to you and speaks to your heart is because God gave it to us for that reason. And just thank you all for sharing those words with us, the the many, many that have already. I appreciate that. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, Martin, most of the time, it's not, not from what we've said, but we come into contact with people that the Lord has led already to come to a certain understanding. And then when they come across maybe some of these things we're sharing, it's, uh, you know, light goes on like, hey, the Lord showed me the same thing. And that's how we come into contact and make and make uh, friends and, you know, have fellowship that way. So uh, it's neat to see different people coming a- away from those precepts. I-, I wanted to just share something. Shane uh, sent us a text earlier this week, Corey, and um, I won't go at verbatim, but uh, he said he made he said the reason that Lehi um, like where we're at in the restoration movement, you know, right now is this very reason why Lehi had to get the brass plates and take it with them for, for their knowledge, because they had to continually renew their mind by reading those words over and over, you know, to have them with them. It didn't, they had to have something there that they could refer to, right. There could be a part of their culture. And this is, it says that taught them how to come to Christ. And we have to renew our mind with the, the teachings of the Book of Mormon, which which was the whole purpose of the 1820s and 30s, was to restore the gospel, renew our mind with that gospel so that we too won't suffer in in, in ignorance and fall away from the Lord, just like Lehi in the brass plates. Amen. Satan doesn't waste any time trying to stir things up or get people off course, and we probably shouldn't be surprised that it happened. I think we felt somehow we were immune to that, you know, as a church, that somehow we were protected from that, but uh, I don't think that we have been necessarily. We we can be if we call on God, but this um, this is so true that those brass plates were this rock that hadn't really been altered, and and it's the basis for the promises 
that Nephi, Lehi, uh, Alma, and others write about, uh, whether it's regarding the prophecy of Israel's gathering or it's just the hope of salvation. But um, it all came from those brass plates. And, and it's like we have them in our hand right now to, to continue to learn from. So, so the, the Book of Mormon, again, is this is our map to understand Jesus' return and his plan for his kingdom. And <clears throat> I believe that our precepts about Zion came mainly by persuasive men in the 1830s. And the facts of Zion really came by spiritual men from the Book of Mormon. And so, again, we're going to try to separate out some of the precepts and some of the facts. Um, Nephi continues, and this is 2 Nephi 12 or LDS 2 Nephi 28. Uh, I, I'm going to just pick a few of these verses, and I, I want to I'll show you where this is going. But Nephi writes, Behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth, lest he shall fall. Woe be unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God, and we need no more of the word of God, for we have enough. Cursed is the man that putteth his trust in man, or is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then this is the warning to us. Woe be unto the Gentiles, saith the Lord God of hosts, for notwithstanding I shall lengthen out my arm unto them from day to day, they will deny me. So the precepts have to come from the Holy Ghost. That, that sounds obvious, but he's letting us know that there will be precepts that don't come from the Holy Ghost. And then this is where it starts to point to the covenant. Behold, there shall be many at that day when I shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them. So in the day when the Gentiles have this work, that I may remember my covenants, which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people, which are of the house of Israel. Now remember, the word Enoch does not ever appear in the Book of Mormon. He's never mentioned. There's never a covenant with Enoch. Well, why? Well, the, the reason is because these covenants don't deviate from the covenants that the house of Israel originally had from, from the Bible, as mentioned by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others. But so he, so he points out he's going to remember the covenants with the children of men, and he says that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, and also unto your father, that I re would remember your seed, and that the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed, and my word shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard unto my people, which are of the house of Israel. So there's a promise to the children of Israel. There's a promise to Nephi and his lineage that their words would become a standard that would hiss forth to all the house of Israel. And then it states this, And it shall come to pass that my people, which are of the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possessions, and my word also shall be gathered in one. So with physical gathering, there's always a spiritual gathering, and, and, and the spiritual gathering, the spiritual light has to happen first. So the word comes to the people, and then they're regathered. But then he sums it up with this, and I will show unto them that fight against my word and against my people, which are of the house of Israel, that I am God, and that I covenanted with Abraham, that I would remember his seed forever. So these promises, just going back to the house of Israel, to Nephi, to the standard, this, the gathering was all part of Abraham's covenant. When we talk about the gathering in, in, in our latter-day circles, 
It's never about Abraham's covenant. It's always about a, a covenant that we were told was made with Enoch. And it's always something that's centered around this center place. You know, focus is here. The, the Book of Mormon teaches something completely different. It's the fact versus the precept. Again, I've stated this already, but Jesus, you know, never mentions Enoch in the Bible or the Book of Mormon. He offers, uh, you know, information about the covenant with Abraham. We're going to see more of that. And so, so what is this covenant with Abraham? I'm going to summarize it right here, and then I'm going to show a few of the biblical scriptures regarding it. The covenant with Abraham is a blessing upon both Gentiles and Jews to bring Christ to them so that they'll know true salvation. So from a 30,000-foot view, the fact that the Book of Mormon came to us Gentiles was really part of this Abrahamic covenant promise that the Gentiles would have salvation just like the Jews. Now, the promise to us Gentiles was not that Jesus was going to come circulate among us in person, but that we were going to have the power of the Holy Ghost. Um, that is interesting because it would make us a great nation, but it would also be used as God's judgment against Israel. That's not the end of the story, but we'll see a few scriptures about that. So a blessing upon Gentiles and Jews. The covenant with Abraham says that the remnants of Joseph the people on this land will return to God after dwindling. The tribes of Israel return to God in truth and humility. The Jews return to God in truth and humility. Israel, all these tribes will collectively be regathered. And Joseph comes to the Americas, the Jews in the house of Israel, to the land of Israel. At least that's how it's described. Eventually, the Jews and the Gentiles are united as one. This doesn't just mean saints of the restoration. This means like Hamas right now in Israel. I mean, you couldn't have more bitter mortal enemies right now. But in the promise made to Abraham, these wars and these conflicts will stop because they'll, they'll love Christ as one. They'll see eye to eye in Christ. Obviously, we're not there yet, right? We weren't there in Joseph Smith's day. We weren't anything close in Joseph Smith's day, and we'll point out some of that too. But... But that's part of this promise of the first and the last coming together. And those who repent are part of the covenant. So there are a lot of scriptures about Abraham. And I'm just going to zero in on the ones that a few of the writers talk about. I would recommend that if you want to learn about Abraham, simply scripture search the word Abraham and read every verse that includes him. And you'll start to get the picture. Do it with the Book of Mormon. That's the easiest one. Do it with the Old Testament. Uh, do it with the New Testament. But and, and I would recommend you know you, you can go to any scripture search you want. But I like to do it simply from the King James, and you can use the advanced search at uh, Restore Gospel or maybe another website. But that gives you the ability to search the King James, and and that's where the Abrahamic Covenant uh, kind of reads the best, I think. So here's just a few scriptures and. This is not by any means an exhaustive list. I wanted to focus in on Jeremiah's writings. Notice how similar his words are to what we just read from Nephi. Jeremiah 23.3, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them and will bring them again to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. Now, I'll... I'll say this, someone might say, oh, well, that's Jeremiah. He lived during the Babylonian conquest. He's just talking about Babylon. You know, the Jews are in Babylon and the Jews are going to be regathered after 70 years. Yeah, maybe. And, and it could be, could be that. 
But when he goes on and he talks about the condition of the hearts of the people then, they never had the condition. They never saw eye to eye. They, they never had the love and the peace that Jeremiah also prophesies. That is for when the Lord sets forth his hand the second time to regather them. So Jeremiah points out he's going to regather the remnant out of all the countries where they've gone. I mean, that's huge. That's never mentioned in any Enoch covenant that we read about. He said, and he writes in 29, 14, I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places, whether I've driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Or in other words, from the where you started. This is exactly what the Book of Mormon teaches, that Israel returns to Israel. And so this, um, and, and also the remnant of Joseph returns to this land and, and is gathered to this land. Now, Jeremiah 32 even contains this word everlasting covenant, but I, I want to read these few verses because it's important for us to see these promises and how the Book of Mormon dovetails in with this promise of everlasting covenant. It's probably worth mentioning, you know, the difference between a covenant and an everlasting covenant. The, the everlasting covenant weren't bound by time. Uh, God could make a covenant with Israel, like the law of Moses, for instance, but it definitely had uh, a duration. Now, Orthodox Jews, for instance, don't realize that. They're still trying to hold all the 613 or many of the, the aspects of the Mosaic law today because they feel like we're still supposed to keep all these different laws. Don't let the dairy, you know, touch the meat, for instance. Um, Jesus fulfilled that. It was not, the Mosaic law was not an everlasting covenant. But the everlasting covenant that God made with Israel to regather them speaks of them being gathered, and it even goes to the new heaven and the new earth uh, in terms of their prosperity and joy. You know, everlasting all the way through time. So, so there isn't a, a duration or a limit on the promise of an everlasting covenant. So, this is part of the everlasting covenant God made with Abraham. Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and my great wrath, and I will bring them again unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. See, this peace and this prosperity, the one heart, that never happened when Israel came back after being in Babylon for 70 years, uh, and it hasn't happened yet today. And then he states, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them, to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me, and I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring them all the good that I have promised them. So this is this is really huge that you know, the, the Bible makes these statements. No one, no historian, no theologian can ever point out when these would have been historically fulfilled. These are all for a day to come. And so when we read this, it leaves us a little bit hanging in the Bible because we don't know how and when they're going to be fulfilled until we read the Book of Mormon, until we read its promise of Zion. And its promise of Zion is the promise of Zion, and it perfectly dovetails with 
the the promises that Jeremiah and Isaiah wrote about here. So when we turn to the Book of Mormon, you know these are some of the names of people who mention Abraham, Nephi, Jacob, King Limhi, Mormon, Alma, Helaman, Jesus, Moroni, Ether. They all wrote about him in some aspect. And these specifically mention the covenant with Abraham, Nephi, Mormon, Jesus, Moroni, Ether. Um, it's really, really interesting. Again, when you consider we've had this precept that the future in Zion is always about a covenant God with, made with Enoch. That covenant is never mentioned in the Book of Mormon. And if the future is so important, and if that specifically is so important, I just simply ask why. Why didn't the Book of Mormon cover any of that? Um, and, and maybe it's because it wasn't really there to begin with. It could have been one of these, you know, the, I think the story of Enoch was more embellished by Christian writers and perhaps Jewish writers. Uh, you know, books and books were written about a man who went to the center of the earth and went out to the stars and went up in the heavens and, and did a lot of miraculous things. But it wasn't necessarily a scriptural account. I, I, I'm not going to spend the time in this podcast to go through where I think that came from. Maybe we'll save that for the next episode. But um, in Jesus' day, again, the Freemasons were all about Enoch, and there were books written by him. There was speculation. Um, but the Book of Mormon was silent. I feel like Joseph probably you know, was innocent at the beginning anyhow because, hey, I've got this new book, these gold plates. Let me tell you all about them. And then other people are saying, well, we've got new information too. And, and, and maybe that's how it all started to seep into the fabric of the church. But um, this, this covenant with Abraham is rock solid through the Book of Mormon. And it is the foundation of Zion. It is the foundation of, of gathering. It's, it's much more than what we were taught growing up, I believe. And if the Book of Mormon and the Bible, you know, the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, where is the the idea of, of this New Jerusalem here in, with Enoch, if it's the fullness of the gospel? Um, and, and because think about how much of our culture is wrapped up in that. And if that's not even part of the fullness of the gospel contained in the Book of Mormon, then, then why is it such an overshadowing uh, part of, if not the main thing that we tend to, to study about, look towards, talk about, you know? Yeah, that's a great, great point. You know, I think the, the thing that God has been, you know, frustrated with mankind since day one is idolatry. You know, we, we tend to, to rush towards things that we can touch and see and feel and, and, uh, you know, carnal things and they take the place of God. We let them take God's place, you know? So when you're talking about idolatry, it's not just like a, you know, a gold statue that you're praying to. It's also just putting anything in front of me, making it more important than my relationship with God. And I think you can do that with doctrine too. You can do that with the church. You can do that with, you know, priesthood and other, you know, other people. In our Even in correct life. doctrine, right? Even correct yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, worship it and ignore the Creator. Um, but one thing I noticed that in that previous verse there that you had up was it mentioned um, that He wanted to be their God, you know, and that's that's kind of a reoccurring theme. So in Genesis seventeen, um, this is part of the, this is actually when He was giving the the you know making the covenant with with Abraham. He says in verse seven, "I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee." in their generations for an everlasting covenant. There's that everlasting covenant right. again to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all of the land of Canaan 
for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And you just keep seeing that phrase, I will be their God. I will be their God. That's really what God wants. You know? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. This, um, this promise from the Book of Mormon explains so many of the details of the, this covenant with Abraham. Again, you know, Abraham was sort of like this ocean with America missing. It was, it was to me anyhow, this, this um, idea that had just been totally looked over, totally missed. And, and it's the heart of the covenant. It's the heart of the promise. So where did, what Nephi writes is very telling. And he, he mentions this in uh, the first book of Nephi chapter five or uh, LDS first Nephi 17. He loved our fathers and he covenanted with them, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he remembered the covenants which he hath made. And he continues and he says, and not only unto the Gentiles, but unto all the house of Israel, unto making known the covenants of the father of heaven unto Abraham, saying, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Now I want to hop around a little bit with some of these writings because I want to take you to where we're almost at today in this Abrahamic covenant. And the writers of the Book of Mormon touched on pieces of it. So, so back in Nephi's day, he's writing that the Gentiles are going to have a blessing through this covenant with Abraham. And then later, we already read this one, but this is from 2 Nephi 12, that I was God, and I am God, rather, and I covenanted with Abraham that I would remember his seed forever. Um, and then we get to Jesus' words. And I'm going to touch on a few of them here, and then I want to come back and read the, the whole section here from 3 Nephi 9. When Nephi is explaining that the law of Moses is done away, but the covenants that he made with his people are not done away, this is where he begins. And he begins to explain this covenant saying, Behold, you are the children of the prophets, and you are the, of the house of Israel, and you are of the covenant which the Father made with your with which the Father made with your fathers, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And it continues and says, And after that you were blessed, then fulfilleth the covenant which you made with Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed, under the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles. So here we get Jesus explaining something important. It's the same phrase, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. That's in verse 65. And also in 63, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. Well, he explains the first half to the children of Israel that he's speaking to, the Nephites. And then he explains the second half saying, and this is also to the Gentiles, that the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out upon them. I mean, that's one of the reasons. I mean, that is the reason why our nation has prospered. We, we finally had a group of people that, compared to everyone else, were able to worship the Lord in, in humility and truth. He blessed us with the Book of Mormon because we were trying to worship him, but we had so many corrupt doctrines. He's like, here's the book that'll teach you how to not stumble. And, and so our church cropped up out of that. But, but notice this blessing wasn't just to us, us only Gentiles. It was to all the Gentiles. I mean, you, you look at the world and, and you see the ones that still sort of have Christ as their God, and, and you've got great countries. You, know, you, don't, you don't see... Um, <laughs> you, you don't see Apollo missions coming out of Iran. You don't see companies like Apple and Google being formed, you know, in, in, in these other worlds. You, you see them coming from the countries that at least at one point had God as their father. And this choice land that he made choice above all other land, the promise 
was extended to anyone on this land that they could have this blessing of the Holy Ghost. And if they would just serve God, if, if he could be their God, as you point out, Shane. And so the part of this blessing, though, works into the history and the fabric of Israel, of, of their rise and their fall, because he says, I'm going to pour the Holy Ghost on the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all. But he doesn't end there. He says, unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel. So not only would he make the Gentiles mighty, strong, you know, economically, technologically, uh, militarily, but to the scattering of my people, O house of Israel, and they shall be a scourge unto the people of this land. And, you know, we, we saw that coming from the conquistadors in the 1500s. We saw it in the 1800s and 1900s by Americans scattering Israel and scourging. So, so the very blessing from Abraham was going to be on the children of Israel so they could know God. The very blessing of Abraham was going to be on the Gentiles so we could know God and have God be our God. And, and it was also going to allow the Gentiles to bring a judgment, if you will, back on the house of Israel for falling away, for denying God. Now, if we've paid attention to all these Book of Mormon scriptures, we find out that the story is not over because the Gentiles receive judgment for denying God. And by whom? It's by the house of Israel when they come back to God through the Book of Mormon. So the story kind of comes full circle twice. Israel rises up, Israel falls, the Gentiles rise up, they punish Israel, the Gentiles fall, Israel rises back up, and in the end, hopefully, all parties repent and come to Christ. That's part of the Zion story. That's, that's never told in our little story of, oh, well, just find your way to Jackson County before the gates are closed. You know, That's kind of all we emphasize. So the scattering of Israel was part of this covenant with Abraham too. And Mormon, now we're in the, the latter part of the Book of Mormon, he writes about this and he says, it'll come to pass that they, his people, will be driven and scattered by the Gentiles. And after they have been driven and scattered by the Gentiles, behold, then will the Lord remember the covenant which he made unto Abraham and unto all the house of Israel. So this is a big signpost. You know, we did a previous podcast on signposts of Zion, but I, and I want to—I think we mentioned the scripture, but I, I just want to—I don't think this can be understated that the plan was always that Abraham's covenant wouldn't be fulfilled until after the house of Israel had been scattered. Indian reservations started in the 1830s when Joseph Smith was alive, but the orders by the U.S. government to send Native Americans to these places uh, didn't stop until the 1930s, 100 years later. And, and there's still been segregation and, and terrible conditions for these people. I don't believe their scattering is necessarily done. But how Mormon words this is that the, the promise to fulfill the covenant doesn't happen until all that is done. And maybe that's done now. But this certainly wasn't done in Joseph Smith's day. I mean, done by being complete. The scattering was just only beginning in the nation of America. So, so this is an important signpost. There's no way we could have had Zion back then if this scripture was true, and I believe it is true, that Israel wasn't scattered back then as, as they are now. So, can, hey, Corey, back, yeah, go ahead. 
can, can you go back to the, um, let's see, I guess that was uh, 35 9, the one you had before. Yeah. This one? No, the one before that. Sorry. Uh, this was all. The, the, the one where it said, um, the, unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through yep, me. Right here. Okay. This one. Yeah. Yep. So I, I had a little insight um, this morning um, that I'll, I'll share. Um, and hopefully I'm not stepping on any of your plans uh, for what no, you're talking about. But, it's our podcast. Um, so I was reading about the Abrahamic covenant. I taught class at church today and that's part of the topic, but um, I was learning about covenants and in ancient times, the way they did covenants was they took an animal, they cut it in half and they took the two halves and the two parties would walk between the halves. And, and that was like a, a sim symbolic that if I break this covenant, then I'm going to be like this animal, you know, cut in yeah. half. I'm forfeiting everything, you know, if I break this covenant. And so um, part of the covenant with Abraham was that he had to be circumcised. All of his children had to be circumcised and all of his servants and, you know, ever from, from till the end of time or whatever had to be circumcised. Well, you know, he was 99 years old. And so he got circumcised at 99 years old. And I mean, I, this is all in the Bible and I know we probably we may have all read it before, but for some reason it just really hit me this time. So here he had to circumcise himself. He had a 13 year old son that he had to circumcise. I mean, I have a 15-year-old son, and I can't imagine having to circumcise him at this age. Mm. Um, and so he makes this statement to God, and I'm, you know, and I and I don't know what he was going through his mind, but I'm sure he was thinking, really? I mean, you know, also the land of Canaan, which is what God had promised him, was occupied. And he was not from there. I mean, he was from Ur, it wasn't anywhere near there. Right. You know, and so he promised him this land that's full of people, you know, and so he's God saying, I'm gonna give you this land. All the people that are there are gonna have to you know, move on. It's going to be your land, your inheritance. And, and you need to cut yourself. <laughs> you need to circumcise yourself. And, uh, anyway, so in, um, Genesis 15, he says, um, and he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I inherit it? So how do I, how am I going to, you know, how do I know this is really what's going to happen before I go and do this to myself and to my children and everything. And he said unto him, and so God decided to, you know, go through the covenant process, which was an ancient process. Um, they found evidence of this clear back to like 2000 BC um, and just in culture. Um, but anyway, so he says, take me an heifer of three years old and a she goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took them and he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst. So he cut them all in half and he laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. So he didn't cut the two birds, but he cut, you know, a cow. And I mean, these big animals, you know, there's blood everywhere. I mean, it's going to be just a, a mess. And then this is the part that was just blew my mind this morning mm -hmm. when I read this. This is in verse 17 of Genesis 15. It says, and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And so you have God coming right there, you know, not in the flesh, but in the form of a, of a burning fire and a, and a, and a fir smoking furnace and passes through those pieces. Well, how did God appear to Israel? You know, it was a smoke by day and a pillar, right. pillar of smoke by day and, and pillar and a fire by night, you know? Right. And so here is the God of Israel appearing to Abraham and going through those pieces and making that, you know, life-threatening covenant with him that he's going to follow through. And, and so you carry that through time over every time the temple was sanctified, you know, the, the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of, of, or the, the uh, temple of Solomon, 
you have this pillar of fire come down. God's presence is there. And then you go to the day of Pentecost and what happens at Pentecost? You know, this Holy Spirit is given to them and they have the, the flame over each head showing that now they are the temple. You know, we, we as his, as covenant people are the temple, the Holy Spirit. Well, and so in that verse that, that right there in 3 Nephi 9, it says, under the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me, meaning me, meaning God who came in the flesh and paid that price, the gift of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles. Mm. You know, and there that's what they were. It was a room full of, of his children receiving that gift of the Holy Ghost. And so it's just amazing to me how this all just points back to Christ. It all wow. points back to the same covenant. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful. It is, it is, it is and has been this covenant. And somehow we've we've missed it. Again, this this little delusion that we've been given, like it's all about something with, with Enoch, it's just gotten us off course. And here since the beginning of time, you know, and God like he asked the question, like you just said, how am I going to know? And God himself, you know, appears symbolically and, and passes through the middle. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, the promise, we can know the promise is sure. I believe it is sure. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to come back and, and just touch a little bit more on what Jesus had to say with this, because we, we read this part. He says, you're the children of the prophets you are of the covenant which the father made with your father saying unto abraham in thy seed shall all the children of the earth be blessed or kindreds of the earth um when he's talking here he begins to describe how this is going to happen to them um the holy ghost will be poured out upon the gentiles just like you know the israelites were blessed but this is where jesus then gives exclusive information we can only read in the Book of Mormon. Nevertheless, when they, let me back up so you can see where this verse fits in. After you were blessed, then fulfilleth the Father the covenant which he made with Abraham, saying, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed, unto the pouring out of the Holy Ghost through me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all, unto the scattering of my people, O house of Israel, and they shall be a scourge unto the people of this land. Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, then if they shall harden their hearts against me, saith, against me, I will return their iniquities upon their own heads, saith the Father. And I will remember the covenant which I have made with my people, and I have covenanted with them that I would gather them together in my own due time. So this is part of that which was missed. It's like missing America in the middle of the ocean, that part of this covenant is that the Gentiles would also be judged. We, we've ignored all this doctrine in, in our talking, but this is what it says. When we receive the fullness and we harden our hearts against God, then our sins turn upon us. And then he remembers the covenant with the people of Israel, that he would gather them together in their own due time. See how in our precepts we've mixed these ideas? You know, we've kind of gone to, oh, God would pour the Holy Ghost out upon us, and then there will be a gathering, and the gathering will be in the center place. Well, it's not what it's saying. It's not talking about gathering Gentiles together. That's us. It's talking about gathering Israel together. And he would give them again the land of their forefathers for their inheritance, which is the land of Jerusalem. And he continues, it shall come to pass 
that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel be preached unto them, and they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. Then shall their watchmen lift up their voice, and with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye. Um, this is just beautiful. And, and then Jesus continues in the end of 13.59 and, and 10 to kind of say this all in reverse order. It's part of the, the chiasms. But, but that he explains that this punishment on the Gentiles is requisite. And all this happens before a city is built. We, I think, have, have missed it. We always point the finger at other people, the, the people who just didn't, quote, join the church. Well, they're the Gentiles. It's like, no, we're all the Gentiles. We're the ones who receive the Book of Mormon. The judgment is going to be greater upon those who have the word and are blinded by the precepts of men. Or like Nephi wrote, you know, even the humble people fall to man's precepts and, and they don't quite see the truth. Hey, Corey. Yeah. Verse 69, it says, And it shall come to pass that the time cometh when the fullness of my gospel be preached unto them, and they shall believe in me. Talking about the house of Israel. The fullness of my gospel shall be preached unto them, and they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shall pray unto the Father in my name. If we were to ask us what the fullness of the gospel is, and it's interesting because I, I just got a text before we went on uh, from... Uh, I'll just read it here. I won't. I won't use the name, but uh, and I don't talk to this person very often at all. But but know him. Said just just out of the blue. Said, uh, "Have you guys done an episode on what is the fullness of the gospel?" And I said, "I don't think so specifically." And and the response was, "I hear it pridefully used so often, but was reading in First Nephi three nineteen, and it sounded like it was knowledge of the true Messiah." Our church uses it as having our scriptures that no one else has. And um, I thought, you know, if we were to take what we call the fullness of the gospel to the house of Israel, I imagine it would be things like, um, you know, we have true priesthood authority that was restored, and we have all of these offices, and uh, we have Zion and the concept of gathering and independence and things that... Um, that wouldn't be what I believe the fullness of the gospel is, and it has to do with coming to know Christ as he is and how the Book of Mormon is all about that so that he can atone for our sins, right? Repentance and all of that. Um, and so there would be a problem there with us, I think, not knowing even what the fullness of the gospel is. But it's going to go to the house of Israel, and, and it's going to be about a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we just had a, a in our class at church not too long ago there was a testimony shared about a missionary in africa and one of the people there in the village had a dream about levels of heaven and salvation and and uh when the missionaries came and and that i guess that was a lesson or something going on they said now i know this is the true church because of my dream and you're teaching uh you know that there's different levels of heaven you know rewards based on what we do and i thought that's that's the problem that's not uh, what I think is a spiritual dream from, um, you know, from the Lord at all. That that uh, probably a counterfeit, but that would be the problem of, I think, us Gentiles taking the quote fullness of the gospel to the house of Israel or anyone that wants to hear it is it's been perverted, um, and it's not the plain clear message that came forth for a purpose. And here it is being listed right right there in in um, third Nephi nine that I'm Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
Exactly. You know, I, I've heard of so many people with small efforts, I mean, not small in their heart, but just small in numbers, to, to go take the word to the Lamanites. And I just like, I don't know, in, in my own heart, I shy away from that feeling like whenever they get this word, they're going to get it correctly. And without all the baggage, we, we have attached to what we think is the gospel. And this is where we fall because, you know, every effort that goes there, it's like, well, we want to tell them about what we think Zion is and how they need to be a part of it and just, you know, come to independence and you're going to experience this. And it's like, it's not what the Book of Mormon says. It's they're going to come to Christ and they're going to fully see Christ without us getting in the way. There's, there's not going to be this, I don't know, just just all this collateral damage, if you will, of, of the words and precepts that we've held on to for so long. I mean, I really hope that's the case. I hope they can get it without us getting in the way of it, that, that, that the pure word of Christ. Yeah, amen. And, and that's the hope. I mean, I really think that's what the Book of Mormon says, is that it's it's going to come to them eventually, pure and purely to them and without all these other precepts we've had just like the lamanites when they were finally converted you know their, their hearts were broken for christ they became born again and new people in christ it wasn't just that they were convinced oh independence is the center place you know that wasn't part of it, it they were convinced that their traditions had been wrong they were convinced that their their doctrinal errors were preventing them from a relationship with christ and they put all that aside and when they did, they became new people. They became even more pure than the Nephites. And I believe that similar change is what this predicts in, in, in a day to come. And, and those weren't things that either, you know, anyone in the early church was talking about either. Uh, I just read a patriarchal blessing of a man, and it, it jumped out at me because it, it said uh, the, the guy's last name was Combs, and he had a blessing by Joseph Smith Sr., and he made many, many statements to him. He, he was told, uh, oh, you're going to speak in the palace of kings, and thousands of Lamanites are going to be converted by your word. And he said, and there's not a drop of Gentile blood in your in your veins. And that piqued my interest. So I found this guy on Ancestry.com, <laughs> a real-life website, and I started searching his, his history and found all these people who all came from Europe, and he was actually even a Mayflower descendant. And that intrigued me because I really couldn't find any connection with anyone other than Europeans. But um, this this man ended up moving to Utah and dying in right outside of Nephi, Utah. You know, just kind of a, a dusty little farm town south of, of of Salt Lake City. But he never went across the seas, and he never did all these things. But this this again was this idea that. All these things were about to happen, and everyone was going to be converted then. And, and of course, that man lived and died. I'm sure he was a good man, but none of these promises that were made to him were fulfilled, and there wasn't ever any kind of check and balance on that. It was like, oh, you can make all these statements and say it's going to come true, but it doesn't. So I shy away from those things, and I, and I just want to read this book. I just want to read it and see what it says, because I believe the, the truth is in here, and we can learn from it. You know, we can... So that because we want to see eye to eye too. Yeah, that's part of the reprogramming that, that Shane talked about to the our spiritual DNA to the basic cellular level. Uh, yes. that, that our founders, our culture, the whole uh, revelation and everything about the early church was all about this. This uh, Zion and uh, and our it's right around the corner and this mighty work that they're going to do. You know, preaching the thousands and palaces of kings, and that was what that was they thought they were headed for to get their endowment and they were going to go out and do all of this. And, uh, 
And that has pervaded through the years, even through the reorganization of, of our mighty importance to the world. And it's just not the story. And so in, the more you hear it, it's redundant. The more you hear it, you start to just get this reprogram at the cellular level. And like, let's rethink all of this and go back and see what happened in the 1830s and why was this record preserved for 2,000 years? And why did it come forth? Uh, not for a group of people to write themselves into the story and, and write letters to the governor, right? Saying they are Israel and they've been spoken yes. through all through the scriptures and they are now here to claim their righteous inheritance and build the holy city. And, and you better, you know, tell people to back off because we have a work to do by God and, and darn it, if you don't help us, you know, might be not great for you then. And it just reprogramming at the very basic level, step back and say, what really is the story of the book of Mormon? Amen. I, that's been it for me in my life. I, I just try to spend part of every day reading the Book of Mormon and trying to study it. And it's, it's just like, for me, my experience has been just like the words from the Bible, which are also in the Book of Mormon, that God gives us line upon line, precept upon precept, his precepts, not, not man's precepts. But there are just gems of wisdom and understanding to be had. But, but my mind, I can only con. I can only kind of absorb a little bit at a time. And I, I try to write these things down and, and categorize them in a way that I can come back and remember the things I've learned. But um, that process has been really slow for me, but it's, it's beginning to change my life in a way that all I want to know is what this book of Mormon teaches. I don't know. I, I mean, I think we all struggle at times to articulate things like we wish we could, but I believe there's going to be a day when somehow in humility, this book goes back to these people. And in the story is going to be told, there's not going to be a, a lot of fanfare with it, but it's going to change some people's hearts. And that's when all these historical things that have been discussed are, are going to start unfolding in time. And it's an exciting time to come. This, this promise of Christ to these people, that's what gets, if you will, Zion rolling. You know, Not all these things we've talked about among ourselves that really aren't scripturally correct. Can you imagine if uh, if there had been a prophecy that had come forth in Joseph's day um, that said, you know, you're not going to do there's there's nothing in in prophecy that you're going to fulfill for hundreds of years, you know, you're not going to take the you're not going to take the message to the layman to the Lamanites, you're not going to build Zion, you're not going to be part of the New Jerusalem, you're gonna you're gonna live your life and then you're gonna die. So what I want you to do in during this lifetime of yours is get to know this book. It's a gift from heaven. Get to know it, learn it, and build a relationship with Christ. Get to know Christ through this book. You know, I mean, that doesn't have the excitement of, you know, gathering and cities and these, you know, kind of these big ideas, these big dreams that, that, that got placed, you know, out there. But that really was, that really was the message. And it still is the message, you know, because there's a lot of prophecies that have not happened yet. If you follow the chronology of the Book of Mormon, there's still a lot to happen. So, you know, I'm re I remember in, in the 80s when the RLDS church split, um, you know, over women and the priesthood and all that. I remember there were people that were telling me I was, you know, I was a young man. They were telling me, don't even worry about going to college. I mean, don't, don't even go to college. I mean, why, why waste your money on it? You know, Zion's going to come. There's no reason to do it. Just, you know, just save up your money and save up a storehouse and, you know, and, you know, you don't even need to worry about college, you know, and here I am, you know, over 50, 
and, and you know, and nothing's happened. And, and I think there's a lot of people that have, that have walked away because of that, they, that, that idea was set up. It didn't happen. And then people are disillusioned because they feel like, well, it must all be a lie. And the, the reality was the lie went way back before us. You know, the truth is in the Book of Mormon and that's what we have to embrace. Yeah, the truth is so much has happened since <laughs> 1980 in the world and with Israel and with things going on. Uh, so much has happened as the Gentiles since the time have just degraded and debased themselves going on in major Gentile countries such as United States and Europe. I mean, so a lot has happened since then, but the story they wanted to happen or thought was going to happen didn't. And imagine if the whole focus was watching the rest of the world and working that into the prophecies of the Book of Mormon, preparing ourselves, uh, <laughs> right, not being so, anyway, so. Well, that last scripture that you had up, um, the, uh, the last line was, that for they shall see eye to eye. You know, well, that's a common thing we're hearing right now among Restoration Branch people is, you know, is that we've got to become one. You know, we have to become one. We have to see, see eye to eye. But, but that's a cherry-picked verse, you know, out of context that we got it out of order. We're, we're taking things that are supposed to happen down the road and we're putting it into our own timeline, imagining yeah. our own God and what he's going to do. And we expect him to do it in the way that we've imagined. And exactly. that's the problem. That's always this, you know, carrot out there on the stick is that, well, when you finally see eye to eye or you're one, then Zion will come. And so that's, that's all that ever gets mentioned in the, in the restoration groups. It's kind of like, well, come, come in for your, you know, hand slap. You're not ready yet. You know, here's your punishment and, <laughs> right. and try again next week. And yeah. If the call was to become, we're going to become one. We're going to set aside our bickering over who has authority and, and we're going to become one and we're going to rally around the book of Mormon and see what this fullness of the gospel is. And let's, let's, let's become one that way. I would be, be all for it. But, um, unfortunately that's not always the, the idea behind that becoming one. Right. It always has to start with a changed heart, you know, and, and, and that's, that's where we become one, but, um, that hasn't happened yet either. Right. Well, so ether mentions this covenant with Abraham and it's interesting because he's not even part of the house of Israel. He, he's through a whole different lineage of, People who come to America through the Jaredite culture, and, and Moroni comments on it. But when when we talked about Israel being regathered in the sixth chapter of Ether or thirteen in the LDS, he he takes this all away to the new heaven and the new earth that they're gonna that there will be a new heaven and new earth. The old will pass away, and then this new Jerusalem, this heavenly new Jerusalem, is part of it. Um, I don't know if we'll get to it today, but I, I wonder which we did. We read some of Jesus' words and some of Nephi's words regarding the covenant with Abraham. But this whole chapter was 13 verses from Ether 6 are really, really telling because it finally tells how the covenant with Abraham is fulfilled. And it's it really isn't fulfilled until there is a new heaven and a new earth. That's why this is everlasting. It's the, it's the only book of scripture that points to the fact that, okay, it is everlasting and I'm going to show you what's fulfilled when there is a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, everything else is just, it'll use the phrase, but it doesn't really define it all the way to the end of time. And yet the Book of Mormon does. So hey, things to learn from that. Yeah. I was just going to tell you, we're over an hour and I don't know how long you're going. This, here. this could be a good stopping point to start up with the new heaven and new earth and ether next time. 
I agree. I agree. And I'm excited myself to hear that and go through that. So hopefully that'll entice us all to think about it and come back together again in a week or so. All righty. Just keep walking each other home. (laughs) I didn't need to prompt him today. (laughs) Thank you guys. Thank you for, uh, for joining us back here again. I appreciate both of you and your thoughts and your studies. Take care. Thank you.